Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally football show. And Friday, we thought Scott Carson was the bizarre goalkeeping story of the weekend. Coming up, we've got all the big moments from three days that saw some real magic. Allison heading past West Bromwich like a sensible motorist. And Yuri Tielemans driving Leicester to an FA Cup triumph at Wembley. We ponder what will happen when the Foxes meet Chelsea again on Tuesday. Hear all about Liverpool's latest last gasp winner and much, much more. Plus, Women's Champions League, not Chelsea's weekend for cup finals really, and Championship Playoff previews. It's all coming up in the Toady Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Welcome to a brand new week. A big one as well as we wrap up the domestic uh, league campaign. Uh, it's Monday morning, 17th of May. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, uh, we're here with Daniel Story today. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Charlie Eccleshare is joining us as well. Hello, Charlie. Hi, James. Nice to see you. Adrian Clark, too, with a big grin on your face, Adrian. Uh, yeah, I've just loved it, haven't you? I mean, what, what a this weekend. Is, this is another another weekend that just just jogs me to think, how does anyone not like football? Mm. Like, seriously, how does anyone not like football when it produces stories, emotions, unexpected drama like it has this weekend? So, yeah, I just don't get it. Well, you know, there were only two or three games that had much meaning to them. But even in those, we had what feel like some of the biggest moments of the season. Who had a tear in their eye Saturday evening? I genuinely did feel quite emotional, but it was one of those, you know, one of those games where, with no real skin in the game, so to speak, I was, I felt so nervous for the last few minutes, um, and then, yeah, when the final whistle went and seeing Casper Schmeichel's interview and and obviously all the background to it, it did, and and their fans being there because, you know, that was something that was, you know, I, I know there have been some games with fans in that kind of intermittent December period, but that made it feel so special as well so yeah I did I did feel quite quite emotional Saturday evening I was on the other side what did Kashper say oh he was just talking about kind of the journey that they've been on and how special it was to share it with the fans and he also couldn't hear a lot of the questions which was quite sweet and he was having to like step forward and go right next to the interviewer so it was just he just looked absolutely um yeah absolutely made up it was it was very sweet big weekend for sweet post-game goalkeeping interviews uh, of course, because the Allison winner Sunday afternoon, which not only breathes fresh life into Tuesday nights of football, but just it was an extraordinary moment. How long have you been waiting to see a keeper do that? I mean, Liverpool were waiting the 90 minutes in this game for something, but to see a keeper come up and do that. Yeah, it was it was it was odd because not just because he was all in black and everyone else was in different colours, which obviously looks... That's the great thing about a goalkeeper. He looks so obvious that you think, how can you not possibly mark him? And yet he's the one player you leave because generally they're there to make a nuisance of themselves rather than to 
to actually score. But it was as if the move was designed for him to get on the end of it. And the header, by the way, is the perfect header from a corner. Glance, but with power into the far corner. And yeah, just seeing him on the verge of tears when he scores. And because it's so late, he can afford to kind of go through all that emotion without having players saying, get back in goal. There's a, there's a game, <laughs> there's two minutes to play. Uh, and yeah, obviously his post-match interview was was brilliant, not just because he was so emotional, he's had such a, a tragic year, but also because he was speaking in after, very quickly after an extraordinary moment in a second language with the kind of emotional maturity that I think I would struggle to, to manage after a, you know, an event, an unexpected event like that. I think it's so rare in kind of, you know, the polished world of elite football like the Premier League that you see something it feels just kind of a bit lawless and having a goalkeeper in the area for, from a corner feels like that and and especially when they're wearing tracksuit trousers or kind of the you know the equivalent thereof it just felt so strange so incongruous it was like a kind of something plucked from Sunday League but you're seeing it in the like most competitive you know Premier League environment so I, I just love that um kind of incongruity and yet as as Daniel says the uh the interview was was amazingly articulate and um yeah, it was, It was. you know, again, as you said, James, it was uh, another tear in the eye moment. Kind of was, wasn't it? Well, uh, one or two really, really important matches. Loads of fixtures played with a kind of end-of-term feel to them. Loads of people scoring their debut goals, not uncoincidentally, and uh, amongst them, Alison, of course, but uh, a bunch of others as well. well. We'll get on to all that later on. We'll also touch on the Women's Champions League, the Championship playoffs too, and uh, heads up on the midweek action on the way. But let's begin at Wembley. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well done, Iosi Perez. Good interception. Let's have it now with Thomas Tillemans. This is where they want the ball. Tillemans from distance, right for it. Yes! What a goal! What a goal! What a goal! They've scored the FA Cup goal! It's Yuri Tillemans! Be the one, please! Yeah, quiet, quiet afternoon on Radio Leicester. I should say the, the guy shouting there, Ian Stringer, deserves to be emotional because he ran from Leicester to Wembley for charity yeah. last week. Mm. So, uh, yeah, kind of lovely ending for, for that story as well. Magnificent. Magnificent. It wasn't a brilliant game, but it was kind of brilliant, in particular for two outstanding moments, both for Leicester, three if you include the VAR decision, but the Tillemans goal and the, the Schmeichel save. Yeah, I, I think it has to go down as a classic final because it had one of the great FA Cup final goals. Just a just a ridiculously cleanly hit effort from Tielemans. We heard the we heard the reaction it, it garnered there. And 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 one of the great cup final saves. That that was magnificent for from Kasper Michael. And I think for him to make it as well, because he's been such a, a fixture in their journey through the leagues and, and such a sort of legendary figure. Second, second only to Jamie Vardy, I guess. Wes Morgan would be up there, but but I think second only to, to Jamie Vardy in terms of, you know, heroic Leicester figures. So for him to pull that moment out of the bag, I thought was was epic. And and then of course the we had the, the VAR drama, which was which was just glorious. Not least because we've all now seen, I'm sure the videos of Chelsea fans celebrating and then and then realizing that 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 wasn't to be, and then of course we had the emotional you know emotional backstory 
with, with with the ownership and and for me that was that was the one of the best bits if not the best bit was to see you know top come come down be beckoned down by the players and and it was none of it was contrived that was a genuine love for their owner wasn't it on that pitch and and I just I'd love that moment I felt so envious I think I think almost every fan of every club up and down the land will have will have wanted their club to have that affinity um, from top right to bottom. It's mm. it's amazing that mutual respect between the ownership, the manager, the staff, the players, and the fans is on a different level to anything I think in English football. Yeah, yet more lovely, lovely scenes. Joe Bruin of Four Four Two was with us, of course, in Thursday's show to preview the game. I mean, he joins us now, fresh back from Wembley. Joe, how are you? I'm very well. All the better now. Um, my bodily functions are, are slowly coming back to life, although my, vo- my voice is still a bit strained, as you might be able to hear. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, so many moments that we were talking about, I mean, even before the game started, just that realisation of the impact in terms of the, the sound, the emotion, probably the smell as well, I don't know, of, of that many fans in the stands. You were there. What, what was it like? It was, it was superb. I mean, look, I can look at this now with very rose-tinted specs, but there, it was a huge, huge deal to have those fans there. I mean, although there was only about 6,000 from each each side, um, and it, looked, it felt like a lot more. And, you know, I've, I've, I've spent an unhealthy proportion of my day watching Yuri Tielemann's goal from a reverse angle today. And just to see the end behind the goal just kind of erupt and limbs going all over the place... Um, yeah, they made a good noise between them, between them both, and and it was you know it just made it that special occasion for everybody in the end. The Tillman's goal, we, we we were kind of discussing the fact that it, it wasn't that great a game until that point. Do you think the the presence of fans might have had something to do with the slightly nervous performance from both teams in the first half? Uh, potentially, I mean, I think we've we've seen Leicester in in some of the bigger games this season. They are quite happy to sit back and soak up pressure, and I think that. That was certainly the game plan here. I mean, the, the, it relies on on the centre backs playing very well, which which they did. Um, and as for Chelsea, I mean, they, they, being out of the game, you could see what they were trying to do. And and there was a couple of moments where they weren't far off from getting in, um, had it not been for just a, a little lack of quality in the final third. Whereas Leicester were, it felt a bit like a game from sort of twenty fifteen sixteen for a while, where Leicester were essentially looking for to get Vardy in over the top, uh, looking for some set piece opportunities. So I think I think it was always kind of part of Brendan Rodgers' plan to to keep it fairly tight and then and then see what happens in the second half. I mean, they were definitely more proactive after half time, which made all the difference in the end. And then yeah, I mean, Casper Schmeichel made two superb saves, um, and, and we got a little bit of luck with a, a VAR call. But yeah, it was uh, it was quite an afternoon. Hand on heart, when Johnny Evans goes down the old injection hasn't worked do you think that's it because because of the, you were left with Fafana and Soyuncu who ended up having monumental performances particularly for Fafana but their form coming into the final was just atrocious for me that just adds another layer to to what was an incredible storyline really yeah hand on heart what was your, what was your feeling when Evans went down 
I mean, f- before the game, for, I think for self-preservation uh, reasons, I was you know, I wasn't really expecting to win uh, because for the last few games we had, we hadn't played very well before that, and you know in the end it was Castagna, Fafana, and Suinchu was was the back three when we got absolutely mullered by Newcastle. So yeah, don't get me wrong, I wasn't uh, I wasn't particularly optimistic at that point, uh, but but it wasn't a huge surprise to see Johnny Evans do that either. I think I actually joked to one of my mates in a WhatsApp group that you know we'll probably see Evans for a few minutes and then not see him again till October um, because. You know, we were always going to rush him back if we had to. But yeah, that, I mean, Fafana and Siunchi yesterday, I mean, were absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, it's that that's more what they're like rather than the the last few games where they they've looked a bit nervy. And, and you know, both of them are young centre backs. They're both aggressive, and and sometimes that can come out in bad ways. But yesterday, I think that they kind of kept themselves in check, and 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 it was you know it was great to see from from a Leicester fan's perspective because it just made it all the more comfortable viewing, if you like. Mm. Joe, you mentioned 2015-16 and there were so many factors behind that, but one of them was the incredible recruitment that had gone on, the, the the names that became kind of household names afterwards but powered that Leicester team. Is this crop here with Fofana's, Utilemans, etc., Madison as well, who barely featured here, is this as, as vintage a crop, do you think, as the 2016 Leicester side? Yeah, I mean, that if you asked a lot of fans, you would, you know, you would say that this team is is better in many ways. I mean, the one thing about the league in 2015-16 was that it was actually, you know, I'll be very honest, it was a weak league and, and we capitalised on other teams, you know, basically cocking up. Um, don't get me wrong, it was, it was a brilliant team, but it was a completely different style as well. You know, it took a, it took a while for Leicester to be able to transition away from that backs to the wall, counter-attacking football, you know. Claude Puel was kind of the guy who took it over in the middle and it, you know, it didn't go very well. It was quite, you know, it was horrible to watch at times, to be to be honest. But, you know, a lot of the players that you see today, you know, Yuri Tiedemans, for example, mm. he, he signed him on loan in, in the January and unfortunately results were already quite bad by then. And, and I, don't, I can't remember, it was only a, a couple of matches, I think, where he actually got to play him. So there was, it, it, it's it's definitely a better team in my opinion than it than it was all those years ago. Um, albeit just one with a with a different style, you know. Now Leicester are the sort of aggressors in a game and and have the quality to to upset anybody really um, mm. with with a with a positive style of football. But yeah, the recruitment has has been phenomenal throughout. Um, and you also have to remember that it's not the same people all the time as well so we obviously had Steve Walsh and, and his team uh, for the title win and you know we've had somebody else since then um, which went with you know moderate success um, but then Lee Congerton came with Brendan Rogers, um, and yeah it's just a very methodical approach you know Ben Chilwell is a great example you know we, you sell him for 45 million and replace him with Castagne for half the price and and you know really we haven't seen that affected it and in our team in, in anything other than a positive way, really. All right. Apart from when the, the fans booed him when he yeah, <laughs> in the in the cup final, but but never mind. Uh, Tuesday we go again. Uh, you mentioned actually when we spoke on Thursday that the home win over Chelsea was one of the best performances by Leicester so far this season, which presumably makes you optimistic for Tuesday's game. And does it even matter now, Tuesday's game? You said again on Thursday that. Most Leicester fans would be happy with the FA Cup and won't worry about the Champions League place now. Yeah, I mean, look, we're all greedy though, and we want everything. So, uh, I mean, you, you, I mean, to to an extent, it 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 doesn't matter because we've just we've just won the FA Cup for the first time in our history, and and that means a lot, and it actually means more than I thought it would uh, before the game. You know, it's just such an incredible occasion to be part of. Um, but we're in this position now. Um, it's it's in our hands to qualify for the Champions League, and it would be a huge shame for this group of players to not be able to do it because, you know, ultimately 
you know, if you qualify for the Champions League, that that takes your club to a you know a high level. You know, you can attract high high quality players, um, and you know, even for, even for the for the longer term uh, possibilities of Brendan Rodgers staying, you know, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be wanting to play in the Champions League every season as a manager, and there will be more clubs after his services um, soon enough. Um, Tottenham will, will probably go for him this summer, um, even you know, despite the fact that I think it would be a bad move for him. Um, but it, so it does mean a lot for the club still. Um, it's going to be tough. Um, Liverpool have made it obviously a lot more interesting uh, than it probably Chelsea would like it to be. Uh, but I feel like the pressure is on is on them, not not us so much. I mean, it's just a, it's just a must not lose game for us, in my opinion. Yeah, nice one, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy this final week of the season. Thank you very much. Joe Bruin of four four two. Hey Charlie. Are Spurs making uh, plans for Brendan? Well, he's certainly someone they'd love to bring in. But I mean, I think it's going to be a very that would be a very difficult uh, signing uh, in inverted commas. I mean, I was thinking as well when when Adrian was saying about the envy a lot of clubs would feel about the kind of bond between the ownership and the players and the fans. I also think a lot would would now envy Leicester having a manager as mm. as good as Brendan Rodgers. And I think it's really interesting. You know, this is someone who a lot of clubs have turned their nose up at. Certainly a lot of fan bases have. You know, Rodgers, I think, has always got a really hard time. I think there's almost like a reverse xenophobia whereby because he he's not a foreign manager, but he is kind of as thoughtful as a lot of them and tactically innovative. But I think there's this sense almost that, you know, British... And Northern Irish coaches should sort of stay in their lane and, you know, not, you know, he's a bit pretentious and all of this. And I just think it's nonsense. And he's, you know, a lot of clubs could have had him. You know, there was, I was looking back and in 2016, I think Swansea could have re-signed him as their manager and, and opted not to. And you think, wow. And, you know, Arsenal, when they replaced Arsene Wenger, could probably have got him then, decided against it. Um, so, yeah, I think he is someone who Spurs, I mean, I think that would be an absolutely brilliant appointment. But it would seem strange for him, you know, I, I guess maybe if they miss out on the Champions League again, does that make him think, well, you know, maybe we've kind of hit a ceiling? But I think if they get in the Champions League, it, it, it would be an odd time to leave this project and this team well, that he's helped in, su- in such a meaningful way to build. Yeah. Also, if you leave Leicester because you miss out on the Champions League, why would you go to Spurs? Yeah, I mean that that is true, but it might just feel there might feel a sense of I don't know deflation and disappointment. Right, okay, you know, two seasons running to kind of fall at the final hurdle as it would be. Um, but I think I think he will stay. It, it does seem again, you know, talking about the ownership, it feels like there's a big bond between him mm. him and the club. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I just also wanted to say on on that Tielemans goal and Adrian, you'll kind of be able to shed a bit more light on this. I, when I first saw it, I thought it, it looked as though he'd kind of cut across it. But actually, he's hit it like on the instep. And to get that much power from that distance, I mean, that technique looks kind of extraordinary and the sort that only a really elite player could produce. The sort that elite players only produce every now and then. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, they'll hit them. But but mm. they won't hit them that clean every time. That is yeah. that is a one in that is a one in a hundred strike for a top class player. It's a one in a you know ten thousand strike for for, for for most mere mortals. So no, it was that's why I think it has to go down as one of the great cup final goals. It was mm. it was just it was beautiful to watch. It was art. Daniel, 
Yeah, absolutely it is because FA Cup goals in the last, certainly over the last decade have, have not tended to be particularly spectacular. Um, there's been quite a lot of set-piece goals, a couple of free kicks, but this was, was absolutely top draw. Um, it reminded me of how when Patrick Vieira came to Arsenal, he had this habit of, of picking the ball up and just kind of driving and opposition players not kind of letting him do it because they, they, they were happy for him to shoot because they didn't think he had in his locker. And he scored, I think, three or four goals. He just lashed into that top left-hand corner. And opponents eventually realised, well, yeah, we need to stop him doing that. And I think that's probably the same with Tielemans because although he's been brilliant for Leicester, he's not, he's not really scored a goal like that before. Um, he generally hits his shots low into the corners rather than high like that. So, yeah, fabulous goal. Mm. Well, it was the difference in this game. Chelsea, with what they thought was an equaliser, disallowed after VAR had drawn lines all over the pitch. It means that Chelsea have now lost two finals in a row. It means they've also lost uh, back-to-back games after being beaten by Arsenal midweek in the league too. And next up, they face Leicester again if they lose this match. Thanks to Liverpool's recent antics, top four is in jeopardy. A lot of people talking about the script flipping with Thomas Tuchel, whereas previously he'd masterminded this incredible transformation of the team mid-season into this resolute football machine. Now they're a side who can't break teams down. How how much pressure is he under come Tuesday? He's always going to be under pressure because because of the form since he arrived. I mean, the Arsenal game, he made a, a huge number of changes. Uh, they conceded a freak goal. That was a, a fly in the ointment. The, the, the interesting thing is that Tuchel kind of publicly declared, I'm in angry mode, I want a reaction, and didn't really get that reaction, I suppose. I think he, he got two things wrong. I think he, he, he should have started Ben Chilwell over Marcus Alonso. Um, to my mind and I think he should have started Christian Pulisic over Hakim Ziyech as well I think he got both those things wrong but they were the better team for, for most of the game I think they Timo Werner did his kind of standard Timo Werner thing but the amount of space that Mason Mount was picking up in the first half I think they were probably unlucky not to be ahead at half time without creating a real clear opportunity and, and those two Schmeichel saves were were phenomenal and the VAR the offside decision was very close so I think they probably merited a draw but obviously in an FA Cup final you don't really get to do that if you lose the FA Cup final you lose the FA Cup final you can't really say well yeah we deserved a draw because it doesn't work like that I thought they lacked drive there wasn't really that reaction it didn't seem to me like they were busting a gap, for want of a better phrase, towards the end of the game. It didn't feel to me as if they were pushing themselves to the, to the absolute limit. We didn't see that many penetrative runs. There's still a lot of patient sideways football. Tuchel obviously made some ambitious changes from the bench in terms of throwing everything at it shape-wise. But from the players' body language and their actual movements, I thought it was quite tame. Really, and I think that you, you could say that's a criticism of, of the manager. And, and that Arsenal fans, a lot of Arsenal fans believe Arteta overcoaches Arsenal, and I can definitely see the logic in that. I think if it continues like this for Chelsea, people will start to say, "Are they? Is Tuchel overcoaching them? Are they so programmed that they can't do these things off the cuff?" Personally, I think they're better than that. But um, but yeah, that's something to keep an eye on on moving forward. I think you do have to ask questions when a team has the advantages that Chelsea have over Leicester. I mean, the subs that Chelsea brought on Chilwell, Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi, Havertz, Giroud. I mean, that's 
absolutely elite five players to bring on. That's probably the most expensive set of players. I mean, obviously, because it's five subs ever in an FA Cup final. Leicester, by contrast, brought on Morgan, Madison, obviously, then all Brighton and Chowdhury. And so I do think, you know, that is when you kind of take a step back and obviously Leicester have become this, you know, elite side. But I think Tuchel would be really disappointed that, you know, with all of that quality on, they weren't able to get the equaliser. And and to answer that the initial question you asked, James, I, I do think there is pressure because if they... If they were to drop out of the top four, which is now a possibility, you know, with Liverpool doing what they did, that then there is the risk, you know, the, the final against City, depending how that goes, of them not getting into the Champions League, which seems mad because Tuchel's come in and done such extraordinary things. But I think then, you know, this is Chelsea. They, they're a club that kind of demands success. And I think, I think he would be under pressure. So Leicester are unbeaten in four of their last five visits to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea have only won one of their last four home games there in the Premier League. How do you think he'll change Chelsea for Tuesday's clash? Well, the interesting thing will be whether he, he, he picks Tammy Abraham, which is becoming a, a story because it sounds like Abraham's going to leave in the summer, but and it becomes a story when Werner continues to to struggle as he has certainly in front of goal if not kind of around the penalty area and he brought on Jiwi who didn't really offer anything it should be said and hasn't the last few times he's come on actually uh, I suspect he might go back to Havertz starting with maybe Werner to the left of him or or if he thinks he's tired play play Pulisic but yeah that it's really going to be really interesting to watch Chelsea in that must win scenario because as Joe said Leicester can afford to very happily draw the game and they're very happy sitting back anyway. So they will be tasked with doing the thing that they struggled to do, which is break down that deep line defence. So, yeah, they, they're going to need to play with, a, like Adrian says, a lot more movement. So I suspect it'll be Havertz and it'll be Pulisic and it'll be those players that kind of dip in and in and out rather than a, a, a central striker. I mean, they should, given what I was saying before about them, you know, the strength of their bench compared to Leicester's, you would think given how much that final must have taken out of both sides, that they would be the main beneficiaries because they can bring in players and you, you barely see a drop-off. You know, I think right. a lot of these players might improve them, whereas less you think might you know, feel a bit exhausted, you know, a bit of a come down mentally, potentially. Um, so I do think there's, you know, this, I, would, I would give Chelsea the edge going into that game. Yeah, But there's a balance. There's a balance, James, because Chelsea will obviously chase the win with Liverpool now, now putting a lot of pressure on them. For me, when they when they're chasing it, it didn't really happen at the weekend. But but Aspilicueta, Rudiger down the sides, I don't have a lot of confidence in. It. I think there's a mistake in them. It might only be Leicester would have to be ruthless, but I definitely think that they've got the players to expose Chelsea if they do gamble. Now Tuchel isn't a gambler really, but but he might on the back of what happened at the weekend, he might be a little bit more positive, and that and that could open the door. Crikey. All right. Well, it's Liverpool's wins that have made Tuesday such a delicate encounter. Liverpool, of course, victorious at Old Trafford since our last show, and then on Sunday in dramatic circumstances with West Brom. Let's talk about that next. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? 
Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, minards 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Sunday afternoon, three days after Liverpool reopened their top four bid with that whopping 4-2 win at Old Trafford. Looks like they were blowing it again, 94th minute, 1-1 with West Brom after the Baggies had opened the scoring with their heir to a potato fortune. Hal Robson, Carno and Salah had found an equaliser, but Liverpool try as they might couldn't break down the Baggies. 94th minute, Allison. so desperate with the situation, Allison comes striding up from the back. And watched by millions of viewers back in Brazil, this is what happened. É o último momento, lá vai o Alisson. O relógio já passou dos 49 prometidos pelo árbitro. Cai a chuva. Que tensão. Cobrança de escanteio. Alisson! Alisson! This is why sport. Hey, Adrian, this is what you were saying before, no? This. This. Exactly. Unscripted drama. Just, yeah, it's it's a beautiful story because it's a, it's a tragic story with his father losing his life in an accident. And, and he, you know, we know that we know he couldn't go go back home to see his family, to go to the funeral. And he's just been living in, in you know, in hell really ever since. And this moment comes along and it it's it was very very special wasn't it and you could just see what it what it meant to him personally as well as in the context of liverpool season it was just a colossal moment for the team but but more so even for him as an individual and you know we, we, you know he, he, he believes there was divine intervention there and and, and yeah it, it was it was one of the most special moments i think that we've seen in the premier league in in many a year from a liverpool point of view as a moment, would you have this or Origi's goal in the Barcelona semi? I think Origi's goal is yeah, yeah, bigger. If this was on the final day, I think the with the individual nature of uh, the Allison story as well, then I think that would pip it. Um, so maybe in a week's time, this might look bigger. But yeah, I'd have that one. And I'd also have, actually, I'd have Origi's goal against Everton in the Merseyside derby as well with that kind of freak Jordan Pickford mistake. I was there that day and that was so unexpected as well. Um, yeah, I'd have, they're probably the three, I'd say. And Origi's goal to win the Champions League final. I mean, he's a disproportionately <laughs> big, big moments player, isn't he? He is. Alisson doesn't have quite the same goal tally, but uh, let's point out that he has now scored half the number of Premier League goals of Chelsea striker Timo Werner uh, in the year 2021. First ever winning goal from a goalkeeper in Premier League history, this. Adrian, the, the technique, how difficult was what Alisson did? 
It was instinctive. I think I think you have to praise the quality of the cross. Now I would say that because I used to take corners, but but, but he meant that, he meant the placing. Oh, of he the meant border. the placing of it. it. It was the degree of difficulty was much tougher when when Nat Phillips ran across him at the last minute. So he kept his eye firmly focused on the ball. But while that ball is in flight coming towards him, he he is thinking far corner. That's what he's thinking. And but 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 the technique, the instinctive turn of the head at the right moment. That is, it just comes naturally. He, he hasn't practiced it really, has he? Let's be honest. So, so it was it was a moment of genius. It really was. But but without the pace of the cross and the, the supreme accuracy from Trent Alexander Arnold, we're not talking about this. Um, so so his part in that, and, and actually his part in the in the, in the game the other night at, at Old Trafford mm. shouldn't be overlooked. Um, it's been quite. A resu- you know, resurrective week for Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, if he's not in the England squad, it's just criminal, isn't it? If he's not in the team, I think it's a joke. But but yeah, it, it was it was a glorious, glorious moment. Okay, that redhead dude wants to know your favourite goal scored by a goalkeeper, Daniel. Uh, because goalkeepers are bad people and should be punished. Um, <laughs> I'll go for Hans Jörg Butts' goal right. in two thousand and four for Leverkusen, of which he as most people may know, was celebrating running back to his goal as they took the kick-off and launched it back over his head. <laughs> a, a similar, not, not through any showboating, but Brad Friedel had the misfortune of scoring an equaliser for Blackburn at Charlton in 2004 and, you know, celebrating wildly, of course he would, and then Charlton went up the other end and, and scored and made it kind of redundant a minute later. But my, my, I think my favourite is is Paul Robinson, but not the Paul Robinson Premier League one. It was actually in the League Cup when he was playing for Leeds in 2003 against Swindon. And like Alisson, it's a header and it's a proper striker's header. I would urge you to look it up. And there's Robinson and he's done it too! Unbelievable scenes! It's a really accomplished accomplished header. I think even better maybe than Alisson's. Okay. Is it as good as Alberto Brignoli's? The um, surely legendary goal that he scored for Benevento when they came up to the top flight in Italy, lost all their first 14 games, and then Milan came to visit at uh, the Vigorito, and he, he, he earned them a point with a diving header right at the death. Uh, it was extraordinary, extraordinary scene. There's a, I, I promise that I did remember this, although I didn't remember the details, but I've just found it. But there was a goalkeeper in the South African Premier League in 2016 who goes up for a corner and the corner's cleared and he then overhead kicks it from the edge of the area which is um, <laughs> yeah. a good effort so. yeah pretty good uh, being an EFL man James I, I'd just right. like to sort of remind people of, of Mark Poom obviously one of the greatest names in EFL history Mark Poom um, but he did Poom his header into the top corner from, from from a far post run it was a great goal against his former club he was playing for Sunderland against Derby um, great header but but for me, what made it was the was the angry celebration. He sort of stormed back to his goal, shrugging off teammates. Get off of me! I'm not I'm not going to not going to enjoy this moment. You know, get well, away! Like, I can't believe I have to come out of my goal and sort this out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Which is what keep keepers can be like. I've, I ended up being friend more friendly. I made more friends that were keepers right. than outfield players. Funnily enough, during my playing career, I just got on well with keepers. But they are. They are a li- little bit mad. Like they, they're just not normal. Yeah, 
Nice. I thought you were going to say that's Mark Poom taking the not celebrating scoring at your former club to extremes, <laughs> yeah. showing you know active anger. Could have been. There, yeah. there was one as well, wasn't it? I think um, Tim Howard when he scored, you know, really felt a bit embarrassed taking the applause. And I think Begovic when he scored his one, kind of apologised after and said, you know, I don't want to. I didn't want to take the piss. You know, it's just one of these misfortune <laughs> happens. You know, the, the goalkeepers' union, as, as we so often hear about. Yeah. Well, this goal was enough to earn Liverpool that whopping three points. That means they are just one point behind Chelsea going into the last two rounds of the season and three behind Leicester. Next up for Chelsea and Leicester, because they face each other, while Liverpool will be visiting Burnley, who got absolutely uh, hammered by Leeds on Saturday 4-0 there at Turf Moor. Wow, imagine how many Leeds would have got if they hadn't been knackered because it's the end of the mm. season and that, he said <laughs> contentiously. Uh, but Liverpool, though, I'm not sure what to make of things because it, it does look like there is the wind of destiny behind them, but this performance wasn't quite at the same level as the one we saw Thursday at Old Trafford. Is that fair? Yeah, it's 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 also set up for Roy Hodgson to end his managerial career by getting a point at Anfield on the final day. Uh, hmm. to annoy Liverpool supporters for the second time, or maybe more than the second time in his long and distinguished managerial life. Um, no, they weren't, they weren't particularly good. They, they, they dominated the game, but um, they, they seem to do this thing where they bring on a player like Jordan Shaqiri um, to kind of add some zip. And it, it seems to do exactly the opposite. It seems to just mean that everything gets a bit clogged up. I think... Um, Mane and Salah are, to me are at their best when they have space and pockets of space to find and I think when they play a team like West Brom they everything seems to get a little bit crowded and they play too many passes they've got a dreadful record they've dropped 19 points I think against the bottom six this season which is more than they've dropped in total in each of the last two seasons which is remarkable really and I think that's the worry for me is that they play two clubs who are exactly the type of clubs they struggled against so far this season with no Jota as well what what would they do without Mo Salah? There's a lot of talk, obviously, about regenerating Liverpool's squad, ripping up the front three and, and going again. But the one that, that they can't afford to, to lose, in my opinion, is, is Mo Salah for moments like that. Because he isn't just about running in behind and finishing off when there's space to run into. He's got that instinctive brilliance in, in kind of any situation, really. And I, I just thought it was a... Just a, a spectacular goal, even though, yeah, it might not be described as spectacular. I just thought it was absolutely precision. And I was looking at left-footed sort of goals this season. He's got 19. And, and the next closest is Bamford on 11. And then and Pereira, actually, at West Brom has got 11. And no one else is in double figures. I mean, that left foot is, is by some distance the best in the league. Burnley are hosting Liverpool... On the uh, in the midweek round of fixtures, they're going to be uh, marking the return of fans to Turf Moor by allowing three and a half thousand supporters in for free, which will be nice. It's the final home game of the season. We'll be talking about the midweek round very, very shortly. Uh, what else happened though over the weekend? Well, Friday night saw Man City with a 4 3 come from behind win at the Premier League's new entertainers, the Magpies. Uh, Saturday, as I mentioned, 4-0 for Leeds at the notoriously tough-to-visit Turf Moor. Saints beat Fulham 3-1. And Brighton and West Ham had a 1-1 draw. That's their fifth draw those two teams have had in a row. Kind of ends the Hammer Slim 
Champions League hopes on Sunday. Palace came from behind twice to beat Villa, 3-2. Spurs won 2-0 at home to Wolves. What did Everton do with Sheffield United, Daniel? Made me angry again. I can forgive clubs getting things wrong occasionally, but I can't forgive a club that has Carlo Ancelotti as manager constantly doing the same thing over and over and over again. And yeah, they were dreadful. They were lethargic. This was the worst of the performance of them all, not not only because it was the nth performance and they'll probably lose at home in their last home game. They're, they've been dismal. They've got the fourth best away record in the Premier League and the 15th best home record. It's embarrassing. When you say Carlo Ancelotti doing the same wrong things again and again, just, you know, in case he's listening, what is it he shouldn't be doing anymore? Well, they're just so slow. And I mean, I, I assume because this is Carlo Ancelotti, I assume he can spot that and I assume he's saying we need to move the ball quicker. But Sheffield United have really struggled to defend this season. They've really struggled with movement. And yet they just pass the ball from side to side to side to side in midfield and then kind of hope some space is going to open up. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin's there waiting for the ball that never comes. And mm. yeah, it's it's... It was diabolical. It really was. It was. It, their fans are angry, and I can understand why because they've basically given up a Champions League place this season with their home form. They bottled it in this game. I don't think there's any other term to really use. I think they bottled it when the when the pressure was on. They produced a truly woeful performance. But but as Daniel says, it, it's not it's not that new. They've just not been creative enough. Too much reliance on Calvert Lewin, and th- and that central midfield areas just I think it's come back to bite them they um, they need to reinvest big time in the engine room but uh, credit as well to Sheffield United and to 17 year old Daniel Jebison who as you probably read was playing in National League North what sixth tier earlier on this season with Chorley on loan it won't make any difference obviously to them but lovely stuff for Paul Heckenbottom just checking to confirm, and I don't. Oh, he does. He does now have a Wikipedia page. That's a shame. <laughs> Twenty-two <laughs> minutes ago. <That's>, really? Yeah. <laughs> he was one of. Um, he was one of uh, a rash. We mentioned this at the top of uh, people scoring the first ever Premier League goal. A group that includes Allison naturally, but also you had uh, Tyrant Mitchell, first senior goal for for Palace. Ben Rama's first goal for West Ham. Nathan Teller, first senior goal for Southampton. Ooh, Fabio Carvalho, who looked uh, interesting, first senior goal for Fulham. Anybody have missed off that list? Don't think so, but Teller's reaction was great. I don't know if you saw that, mm. but he, I mean, he looked so delighted to have scored. And it was, you know, these games that, you know, there aren't crowds and a lot of them just theoretically not a lot at stake. But, you know, of course... They mean a huge amount to, to these players. I did just want to say on Everton, I mean, like, it, it does feel like since about January, they've been within six, seven points of the top four with a couple of games in hand. They'll lose at home, and yet somehow the other teams will lose, and they're still in that position. And and yet they just haven't been able to take advantage again and again and again. It must be absolutely maddening. And then, and I, I think a lot of fans' patience has snapped now. On, on Daniel Jebison, um, he's sort of, loan spell with, with Chorley. So he's gone from National League North to the Premier League in, what did you say, six months, James? Yeah, well, he was, I, he was earlier this season, so yeah. within a pretty brief time. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah just, I, did, I did the opposite route. It took me about six or seven <laughs> years from the Premier League. And I, I didn't go to the North, but I ended up in the National League South within about seven years. So yeah, not not quite as, as glorious a route, but you know, we've, we've both been there. 
Mm. But you stopped at the sixth tier, Adrian. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't. That was right. that was mainly through mainly through injury, really. You know, who knows how far I'd have uh, tumbled down <laughs> tumbled down that that, that escalator. <laughs> that, that once it, once you get on that slippery slope, boys, I'm telling you, it's not easy. <laughs> Did you fancy playing for my Sunday league team, Adrian? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done absolutely <laughs> now we've got a huge week coming up in the Premier League with two rounds of action and the midweek games have one or two things to look out for we'll get onto those and maybe touch on last Friday's game between Newcastle and Man City next this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Yeah, midweek game's coming up, but the Man City game, agreeably bonkers in a kind of end-of-term fashion. You had Scott Carson making his first Premier League appearance in 10 years. The Ferran Torres hat-trick, and oh my word, was it the second goal? Yes. First. The it first was, the was first goal. His first, his sorry. First, yeah. Yeah. Right, but second, the second, right, yeah. Just astonishing. Should we should we take a minute just to marvel at that? Yeah, I, I am I allowed to pour cold water a little bit of really drip of cold water on it? Why, Did you think the keeper's positioning's weird? Well, it's it's a good goal, but it isn't. It's nowhere near Seriously. as good as yeah. So he he leaps in the air and deflects. It, he backheels it in without even looking. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, but he, it's it's not a it's not a volley to me really that it's just he's trying to help he's helping the ball on in the vague direction of the goal he's not aiming for anything it's adrian. a good goal it's just not a brilliant goal adrian what what do you think had you scored that goal and you'd heard someone say it's a good goal but not a great goal what, what would you do <laughs> i'll be fuming <laughs> but i would also be lying a little bit to myself because daniel's right it, it yes. is it's just helping it on. It is. It is spectacular, and it's it is yeah. it's really clever. But but yeah, it's a good rather than magnificent goal. But look, I like Torres. He's lightly raced. Could be a, could be a player for Spain. I think in in the Euros, definitely one to 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 look out for. He can finish. In terms of like how quickly he's scoring a rate at, mm-hmm. obviously the hat trick helps. But but. He's scoring one every 182 minutes this season now, which is second only to Gundogan. He's got 28% conversion rate, which is right up there among the best. I think there's a player in there that maybe we haven't really given enough attention to. But but I, I think at 21, he's, he's, he's someone that I think uh, we, we're going to hear a lot more about. Well, you mentioned his potential role for Spain in the Euros. He's already got a hat-trick with them mm. earlier on this season and. Spain's 6-0 win over Germany. That was in the Nations League. Mm. 
quite a game, this one. You've probably seen the amount of possession that Man City had, 82.3%, which is the second highest in the last 17 years. And some incredible spells of dominance in the game. Newcastle, though, still managed to get three goals in there. They have actually scored more goals than anybody else in the Premier League since the clocks went forward. That one courtesy, of course, of Duncan Alexander. Yeah, well, they've got some you know, really direct play. I mean, so Maximan's come back into the team and Joe Willock's gone on this kind of scoring tear. Um, and, you know, they, they are a team that doesn't need a huge amount of the ball and they showed that. I mean, when you've got someone like Sir Maximan who can bring the ball forward and kind of, you know, take players out of the game. And then someone like Willock, who's all about kind of low touch, um, you know, but getting on the end of things, sniffing out chances. And I, I do think he's a really interesting dilemma for Arsenal because they they have very few saleable assets and he is one and in some ways he's exactly what they lack they have their central midfielders you know the four of them who mainly play have scored I think two Premier League goals between them and even further forward you know Saka's got I think five in the league so Willock's got more than him when it's got six Smith Rowe's only got a couple so he he does offer something different but that also could count against him because Arteta likes, you know, players who kind of link play a little bit more. That's not really Willock's game. Willock's more a kind of early Aaron Ramsey, someone who's going to get on the end of things. So it's it's a it's a big um, big call they have to make. And yeah, I wondered, Adrian, you know, if you had a view on that, whether you think, do you know, do you stick or twist on that? Do you cash in when then there's not a whole lot of players that Arsenal are going to have takers for? No, look, there'll be a big rebuild. Definitely, he's attributes i.e. being a goal scoring midfielder ticks a huge box that's missing for Arsenal but but you mentioned his positions there and I think that's his his issue is he trusted to play central midfield in a two no and would he would he burst forward as much from there maybe not and is he is he a good enough 10 to usurp Smith Rowe or Saka or Erdegaard or, or any of these guys Probably not. So, for me, for me, actually, being brutally honest, I think it would be better for Arsenal to take the money and for him to move on to make a name for himself elsewhere. I just think, for the sake of his career, he will get game time elsewhere and 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 do brilliantly. I'm sure. I just don't know if Arsenal is the right place for him now that he's coming into his adult years. As a footballer, mm. I know it sounds it sounds a strange thing to say, but he needs to be playing now, and there'll be absolutely no guarantees that he'll play next season. Get out, Joe, while you can. What? Hmm. Yeah. Now we've got midweek fixtures coming up, and Arsenal are going to be in action. Actually, they had the weekend off. What have we got? Tuesday, it's Man United against Fulham. Saints, Leeds, Brighton, Man City, and Chelsea, Leicester. Wednesday, Everton, Wolves, Newcastle, Sheffield United, Spurs, Villa, Palace, Arsenal. Burnley, Liverpool, and West Brom, West Ham. And all of those games will have fans back, which will be exciting. Will there be some players who are not exactly looking forward to this, Adrian? <laughs> um, 15, 20 minutes into the game when they're having a stinker, yeah, they'll probably be wishing wishing that fans weren't there. It, no, I think, I, th- I think every footballer lives for the for the buzz of, of impressing in front of the fans it's, it's just okay. a really exciting thing so no they'll be up for it um and and one big advantage of having fans back 
for me as a, as a winger as well is that you, you can then pretend you can't hit a coach because for it used to drive me up the wall when I could hear the coach like the reserve games used to you know when no one was there in my ear do this do that do this and I hated being coached through games so so in first team matches I was able to just completely blank it out and do my own thing and, and I just enjoyed it so much more and I'm sure there are a lot of players like that Brilliant. All right. Well, that's one of the tricks we can look forward to. A lot of the games don't have a huge amount riding on them. There may be points of interest in there beyond the Burnley, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester games, which have that direct impact on the top four places. What are you looking out for beyond that, if anything, Charlie or Daniel? Well, I mean, the, the race to avoid the UEFA Europa Conference League uh, will be hotting up. Right. Uh, and it looks like which, that will be a... Which position is that specifically? Is that so seventh? It's going to be seventh, it looks like, yeah. Spurs and West Ham. Uh, yeah, really, really hoping to avoid that. Mm. Spurs in pole position now. I mean, they... And, and you would make them favourites to, to to hang on to sixth. They do have to go to Leicester on the final day. But before then, in midweek, uh, they host Aston Villa off the back of beating Wolves, Um 2-0 this afternoon as we record uh, you know against a pretty dismal Wolves side you'd have to say but you know they Spurs put them away um, so so I guess though you know those games have do do have a bit of jeopardy because that that conference league could be a real spanner um, for Spurs next season you know it's it's not a competition they want to be in potentially some big travel distances for you know, a competition that I don't think is going to do a, a huge amount for, you know, bringing in the punters or you know, raising the status of the club. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that that Villa game is one that, you know, they, they really need to win to put them in as strong a position as possible going going to Leicester on the final day, which, as we know, will be, will be far from easy. Daniel, anything you're looking forward to from the midweek or just the ones we've talked about and let's move on? Well, I, th- I I do think in that Spurs Villa game, Jack Grealish needs a start, and it will be interesting to see uh, with Villa not having anything to play for. He's he's pretty dominant in that team anyway. If he's the only one with a real point to prove, mm. then it could be even more so. Um, but yeah, I I think he's in real danger of missing out the squad. And whatever happens with that squad, there's going to be people angry about a particular player because there's too many options and Grealish is on the fringes at the moment. Well, Adrian's already calling Gareth criminal and a fool. I think those were your words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I just think, yeah, I'm not a massive Southgate fan, but I really? think... He's I a lovely gr- chap, Adrian. Lovely. No, no, I, I, as, a, as a man, as a leader... Mm. As an example, he's wonderful. Just as a, as a tactician, not so good. Um, but but for me, Jack Grealish, if he can, if he can walk without a limp, he, he gets in the squad. I, I completely he gets, agree. He gets in the squad. He gives England something that they don't have: he, a ball carrying ability, ability to to change a game um, by holding on to it and waiting for the right moment. He, 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 if he's fit enough to last ninety minutes, whether he's had ninety minutes or not. He gets in that squad, whether it's 23, 26. Mm. Or for me, if there was a squad of 18, he'd still get in it. I think one thing that goes in Grealish's favour is I think we've seen over the last few games, including this weekend, even with Declan Rice back, that that Jesse Lingard honeymoon might have partly been down to the fact that he had an awful lot of energy when players around him had less. And he he's tailed off a little bit. And I, I suspect that kind of Lingard 
for England buzz might have died down a little bit, which might help Grealish. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know it's because he's been injured, but I'm amazed that's even really a debate. I mean, Grealish is such a special player, and t- to to not take him would be, ugh, yeah, I think such an error. Well, Spurs rivals for seventh place, uh, West Ham will be facing West Brom midweek. Big Sam, of course, against his old club. Should be said that not everybody does feel that way about the exciting new Europa Conference League. Ruben Kazan, for example, released a special celebration video after qualifying featuring their manager, the ever-popular Leonid Slutsky. Marvellous. Now, speaking of European competition, Sunday night, while all that other stuff was going on, Chelsea were facing Barcelona and Gothenburg in the Women's Champions League final. Matt Davis-Adams was commentating on the game, which must have been a, a fun second half, and he joins us now on the line. Matt. Hi, James. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm well. Better than you by the sound of it. Sorry, that it, it wasn't a great weekend for Chelsea in cup finals. Um, it's, it's been pretty dreadful, yes. Right. So a lot of people had high hopes for Chelsea to become the first Women's Champions League winner from these shores and the first European champion since Arsenal back in, what, 2007? But this Barcelona team is something else. Yeah, they really are. I mean, there are a couple of caveats that I'm sure Emma Hayes will point to. A freak own goal less than a minute in, not much they could have done about that. And then a penalty which really didn't look like one after that. But unfortunately, Barcelona were able to find what Chelsea's weakness has been or is at the moment. And it's in the fullback positions and they were just merciless in exploiting it and and for all the praise that Emma Hayes has had this week and it's been absolutely right that she has because she's done a phenomenal job I think she got one big call wrong tonight and that was playing Jess Carter uh, at left back instead of Jonna Anderson Jess Carter is a a right-footed player Anderson's an out-and-out left back but hadn't had a good game in the first leg of the semi against Bayern and and had come out of the team after that and I think probably if Emma had a time again she she would have gone a different way. What are Chelsea missing? We heard them described as the most expensive team ever assembled uh, in the Women's Super League. What are they missing then to go toe-to-toe with a team like Barcelona? Just better luck? No, I don't think so. Um, I was commentating on the game with um, with Anita Asante, former England defender who's, who's also played all over Europe, and, and she was saying the problem that Chelsea have had this season is that people are viewing their quality through the prism of the WSL rather than European club football. And actually the Spanish national team and, and the Spanish... The Spanish league has been improving in quality for about five, ten years now. And it turns out that, as we saw tonight, they are a long way ahead of Chelsea. I mean, this is a a Barcelona team, most of which started the 2019 final. So plenty of experience, but but a front three of of Lika Martins and and Caroline Graham Hansen and, and Jennifer Hermoso, which is the equal of Chelsea's famed front three of Kirby Harder and and Sam Kerr and and certainly Kerr and and Kirby were really disappointing tonight. Couldn't get into the game at all and you would never have expected to see Kerr hooked with 20 minutes of the final still to go. Mm. I bet you were praying to be hooked with 20 minutes of the final still to go, were you? Uh, I did message the other Chelsea TV commentator at half-time and and say, do you fancy doing the second half? But he swiftly replied, no. There you go. All right, Matt. Well, look forward to speaking to you again in happier circumstances, but well done to Barcelona. And uh, see you soon. Cheers, James.
Matt Davis Adams. Beyond their lovely kit, Daniel, that shirt and shorts combination, were you impressed with Barcelona? Yeah, I mean, they were phenomenal. This is a team that got completely outclassed by Leon uh, in the final of this competition and have come back and with virtually the same team have stuck to their ideals. They play more Barcelona-like football than I've seen Barcelona men's team play in several years. This kind of possession play and but but also with a with a pressing that Chelsea just couldn't cope with. I mean Chelsea were poor and passed poorly, but yeah, they are um they are a team that has such a clear identity and are in a position, I, I guess now, to challenge that typical Leon dominance. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well still to come in today's Totally Football Show, Adrian is going to fill us in on this week's championship playoffs which get underway Monday evening. Before that, though, let's get some odds from Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. Hello, James, and hello, listeners. Whatever team came out the wrong side of the FA Cup final was going to be gunning to get their own back in this one. And Chelsea will be very popular in the betting and are priced up as such. You'll get four to six on the Thomas Tuchel revenge mission at the bridge on Tuesday night against Leicester. But with emotions running high and Chelsea's tendency to be wasteful in the final third, don't rule out Brendan Rodgers' men getting a point here. Leicester are four points better off than Chelsea on their travels this year and providing they were well behaved on Saturday night, look good value for a point here at 27-10. to 10. Remember, they've lost only once to Chelsea in their last six meetings. The top four race will go right to the wire with Liverpool all set to pounce on any precious points coughed up. Pops men will be all business when they go to Burnley and a win against the already safe Clarets looks a sure thing at 2-9 to nine for a couple of reasons. Turf Moor has been more of a hindrance than a fortress for the home side this season and last weekend's 4-0 defeat by Leeds said it all when some of the Burnley players looked like they were already on the beach sipping pina coladas. To be fair, you can hardly blame them though after another gruelling season with a lightweight squad. The Baggies play host to West Ham as well on Thursday evening. The Sting by now has left Big Sam's tail and the air has come out of David Moyes' tyres in terms of a Champions League spot. So we shouldn't be expecting a belter here, but the Hammers should have too much for down and out West Brom and will be popular in the Akas at a price of 6-10. to 10. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18 only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop subscriptions to The Athletic, you say. Well, you can get them, it's true. They'll cost you £4 a month. All the details are at theathletic.com slash totally. But let me just throw in that that £4 a month will buy you unrivaled coverage on the business end of the season, which kind of happened. But anyway, the next one too. All the articles, all the podcasts ad-free and Q&As with writers. So there you go. We've got lots of those uh, podcasts coming up, actually, over the next few days. Offside Rule WSL edition will be out on Tuesday. A lot of focus on Gothenburg there. Totally Scottish Football Show also on Tuesday with the end of the regular season in the Scottish Premiership. Totally Football Show European edition is out Tuesday and loads to talk about there. All the drama in France, the latest twists in La Liga, Lewandowski equaling Gerd Muller's record. 50 years that stood. Juve beating into all sorts of other stuff as well with Rafa, Jules, James and Alvaro. Uh, meantime, out probably right now, actually, listener, is the Totally Football League show, which also features Adrian Clark. So that's, you're actually on two at the same time, Adrian. That's... Yeah, I've completed the coveted Totally Double this weekend, which is very exciting, obviously. It, honestly, it was, it's a really good pod. 
Um, we've got three exclusive interviews. Michael Appleton, okay. the, the Lincoln manager. Um, Carlos Mendes Gomez, who's got an amazing story. Um, Senegal to Madrid to the 10th tier of non-league football, back up to Morecambe, uh, where he's been brilliant this season. We speak to him. And Steve Cook as well from Bournemouth. We were chatting to him. And I really, really enjoyed what he was saying about his potential duel with uh, Ivan Tony. I got the impression that um, he, he wouldn't mind leaving leaving something on young Ivan across the two legs. Um, who And it doesn't surprise me, as well as being a brilliant striker, he's also quite chirpy um and Tony. Um, yes he's, he's quite chirpy he likes to wind up defenders and, and steve gave some great insights actually into how having no fans mm. actually impacted some central defenders because they they were allowing some of these chirpy strikers to, to sort of get in into their heads a little bit you could hear everything rather you could hear who were who was being the sort of mischief makers on the pitch and and some players obviously get get more wound up than others by that but but personally coming from a slightly different era I was just sort of reassured and pleased that that kind of nonsense still goes on because it, it, it just is feels reassuring yeah exactly um, what, what do you make of what, what do you make of Bournemouth Brentford which is coming oh. up on on Monday, as is Barnsley Swansea. Yeah, well, it's so hard to tell you what's going to happen. Only one team is in great form coming into the playoffs, and that's Brentford. So they have to be favourites. Bournemouth have lost three on the spin. Swansea have been very average for two or three months, and and Barnsley, I wouldn't say they've hit the wall, but they're definitely not as not as impactful in recent games. So, so Brentford on form should make it finally, but. This is the championship playoffs. There are going to be some twists and twists and turns. So, uh, how many times have we said going into the championship playoffs that Brentford should make it, and then they get all yeah, the way exactly. and then blow it? Exactly, exactly. But I think they might be hard, you know, battle hardened. Hopefully, they've Thomas Frank will have learned from the mistakes in, in previous years, and and they are the most rounded team. Bournemouth are dangerous because they've got the talent. Uh, Dan Juma and Solanke, really good. David Brooks. They're all Premier League quality, but as a team, they're not the best team in, in the playoffs. Barnsley are a proper team, but but they you know they haven't got that that individual magic. Um, and Swansea are, are a really rounded side, well coached, but look knackered. So can they sort of take a deep breath and go again? That's the big question. I think Swansea v Brentford would be the the, the fairest final based on the season just passed, but but we'll okay. have to wait and see. They both got experience. I mean, not always happy experience of, of, of playoffs. How different is playoff football, Adrian? Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to experience it, but I've watched a lot of it. I think it's I think it's just handling the nerves. I genuinely do. So much pressure on it. It's your whole season. You've grafted since last what? Well, not not July this time around, but but yeah, pretty much since last summer, since after the pandemic, everyone went back to training. They've grafted for this moment. And they could freeze. It can get to players. So, so it's handling the the occasion. I think is with the clearest having the clearest mind in the moments that matter. That they're the teams that prevail. All right. Well, as you say, plenty of direct personal experience coming up in the Totally Football League show. And by all means, go off and listen to it because I think we've done everything we need to do with this. This totally, Daniel. Unless there's something or Charlie that you'd like to throw in. One thing I was going to say on the uh, the FA Cup final, going back to that, one thing I really enjoyed was 
the the camera kind of panned in on the Leicester fans in stoppage side to show the kind of majesty of the occasion only for a Leicester fan to just be sticking his middle finger up in, in the most like deliberate way. It wasn't even aggressive. He just had it up at the Chelsea fans kind of grinning and they quickly had to pan pan off that. Like, right, no, okay, that was a bad idea. Uh, and it was a real shame they couldn't just linger on that because it, it kind of summed up the whole situation beautifully. It was just after the, the Chelsea disallowed goal. You don't, you don't get enough of... Um... We're sorry if you've seen any bad language. Yes, yeah, exactly. There should have been that, yeah. <laughs> well, we're sorry if you heard, heard anything that uh, you found uh, disagreeable in, in the course of this last hour. But I, I must say it's been a real treat to have the weekend explained by Daniel and Charlie and Adrian. And listener, thank you so much for being along for the ride. We will return with the European Roundup Tuesday and there's all that other great stuff to listen to. Uh, so do make sure you keep it totally. Uh, for now, though, from all of us here, have a splendid week and cheerio. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.